Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes. completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started vinod is the co-owner of kushala sip coffee house and has a background in e-commerce and data analytics he shares in the interview how he and his wife started coffee house in 2015 to provide a sip of happiness to every customer and to enhance the experience around coffee he shares how they navigated covid using technology and now looking forward to expand and how they care for people and have built a team on a solid foundation of values hi vinod welcome to the choosing leadership podcast thank you for inviting me sure i'm happy to be here glad to have you on the show and to begin with for our listeners can you share a little bit about who you are and what do you do Or yes, like you said, my name is Vinod Kumar. I am based in Boston, United States. I've moved to this country in 2005. It's been I've been here for 17 years, and over the past 17 years, I've uh, done some uh, unique things. I would like to think I'm originally from India. I graduated uh, with a bachelor's in computer science. I came here for my master's, and I've stayed in Boston ever since. From a professional background perspective, I've spent the last decade or so in e-commerce, primarily. building e-commerce technologies as well as working with brands and retailers in helping them identify how to leverage e-commerce tech in a way to help them grow their business in terms of helping them achieving their business outcome digital commerce as it's called now has evolved in a significant manner over the past decade or so about 10 years ago maybe 12 years ago smartphones were very new most of the e-commerce was happening on desktop computers now most of the traffic and e-commerce transactions are happening on mobile devices in fact i believe salesforce just published a research report recently announcing that for the first time in history number of orders worldwide are happening on mobile devices more than desktops that's a big change from a shopping behavior perspective so been i've been fortunate enough to have central seats to the evolution of digital retail and digital commerce and 
working with marquee retailers and brands in helping them grow. And as for that, learning from how this particular trend has evolved. On a personal note, about seven years ago, my wife and I started a coffee shop here in Massachusetts. And it's an independent shop. It's a one unit shop where we wanted to bring a more experience oriented coffee culture back to this part of the country. We felt like coffee culture has evolved into a more to go centric culture where coffee is not enjoyed to the experience, but just for the caffeine context. And that's not how we look at it. Um, we look at it as a, as a thing that can be consumed with your friends, with your family, with people around you, with food and so on. So we started that about seven years ago. And then of course COVID hit, but we were able to figure out a way to not close at all. So we stayed open. Obviously we used some digital commerce technologies to evolve into a digital, quasi digital coffee shop. So today, for example, most of our transaction uh, happens in store, but about 40% of the transactions actually happen online. And about 22, 23% happen on our old channels and about 16, 17% happen in third-party channels. We are about to expand, uh, add another store, twice the size of the current store, expand a brand presence, go more into sort of downtown Boston type location and expand the concept of experiential coffee beyond where we are today. So that business is growing. So overall, it's been, a, it's been a very interesting ride. I've spent a good amount of time in e-commerce tech and a good amount of time running a small business. I feel like I have a full spectrum of what's happening in this part of the world, at least today. Thank you. Thank you, Vinod, for sharing that. And as you were talking about the coffee shop, right, one thing which I could notice was your eyes, your passion was clearly visible. Can you connect the dots? So e-commerce, technology, and coffee, like how do these connect? Initially, it didn't to me. Credit to my wife who actually came up with the idea and the concept. Initially, we both were very entrepreneurial in terms of we have entrepreneurial aspirations. Even at the time when we met each other at B-School during our MBA, she had her passions and I had mine. Mine was clearly in technology and hers were in small business. She had the opportunity to pursue that first. One fine winter evening in January when everything was snowed in, we had ordered Chinese takeout food. So we both drove to pick up the food. It was all snowy. No one was in the street, completely silent, quiet, dark, just the street lights. I stepped out of the car, went into the restaurant to pick up the food, came back to the car, and she wasn't there at the car. So I started searching for her, looking around. I saw this tiny figure far away on the sidewalk, peering through a shop window. So I walked to her, it was her, and she was looking through the window of a store that was vacant and had this big four leaves sign on it. And she was immediately like, this is the place. This is where we want to open the shop. We knew immediately that was the first opportunity that we got to pursue it. So we put our eggs in that basket and we went forward with it. It's only when COVID hit, I realized that the five years we had invested in building the coffee shop business and my background in technology actually coincided and overlapped. It took me five years to find the connection. And when I found it though, it clicked. It clicked immediately because we were then able to leverage my background and the foundation that we already had with our customers to establish an online presence and somehow navigate around all the obstacles COVID threw at us. 
And that journey, even though it was hard, we were struggling to even make money to cover our costs at that point in time for several months. The books were completely in red. But we knew that if we navigated the successful use in technology, when we emerge on the other side of this COVID tunnel, we will have a much stronger foundation. That's when we clicked in terms of how my existing passion for technology and my newly discovered passion for coffee shops merge and connect with each other. It wasn't natural for me. It didn't connect to me immediately. It wasn't something that I had aspired to, but I learned that it could happen. And as soon as I learned it, it was was as if it was meant to be. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And before I come to the technology part, I want to address the entrepreneurial spirit here. You mentioned that both of you have that. So can you share a little bit of the backstory there? Is it something in the family or who are the inspiration behind your spirit to do something on your own? I'm going to share with you something that's completely non-stereotypical. There is no story of my father was an entrepreneur or my grandfather was a business fan. No, nothing of that sort. I come from a very traditional South Indian contemporary background. And my family believed in good education, getting a good job, career progression, all that good stuff. I was fortunate enough to grow in a household that valued education. So it was drilled into me to be good in that part. So what I did know from a young age is that for some reason, I wanted to pursue computer science. My father was an engineer and I used to pick up his genetic books even when I was in high school, even though I didn't understand the lick of what it was in the book, but I was curious enough to learn that for some reason, computer science as a subject matter was really attractive to me of all subject matters that were there. So I was pretty decided that that's what I wanted to pursue. It's not something that I want. I didn't have to go through my own discovery journey to realize what I wanted to study, what field I wanted to be in. That I knew. But as soon as I started doing that, and I graduated from college in the late 1990s, and the white, white tool cave bug was all around, this slitling thing called e-commerce was kind of emerging. Really new, late 90s, before the dot-com boom, when the, as the dot-com was starting to. And I was in India, and India had a whole bunch of startups, so I was fortunate enough to get started in that space, in a startup. I think that's when I realized that to truly connect what I learned, my passion for computer science and my newfound interest in e-commerce, all these startups were emerging and somehow I think that created the sense of, oh, I would like to pursue an entrepreneurial project in this vein because with so much happening, your people say that your thinking is a product of your environment. I was in that environment and it influenced my thinking a lot. It influenced the way I looked at problems, the way I approached solving problems a lot. And as I worked through that phase of my career, I realized that I needed to understand the non-technical, the business side better. And back then, the only logical thing I could think of was to pursue a master's in business administration. So I decided to come to the US and here I met my wife. And as it turned out, she had entrepreneurial aspirations too. She had already explored, she's from Mexico, and she had already explored options to owning a food truck business in Mexico City. She went through the channels, through the bureaucratic governmental processes of figuring out if it was possible and then realized after spending some money that it was pretty 
complex and complicated to get something started when you don't have relationships in the industry or a good corpus of capital. I think that's what she decided to pursue a degree in business. She came here and we met and we talked about all these things and we realized, that's when we realized that the aspirations were pretty complementary in terms of what we want to do. She was a couple of steps ahead of me in terms of she had already tried a few times and getting a business started. So she had more learnings than me in that space. So maybe that made total sense when she got the opportunity to start this business first and get this thing going, which turned out well for me as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. And irrespective of any business, as you said, you have grown up in a traditional background, moving from a well-established position to starting something on your own can be quite a challenging on a personal level. It requires taking risk. It requires putting a lot of things at stake. And the least of which is finances. You spend your energy, you almost uh, stake your reputation on it. What have you learned about yourself in that, in this period since you started the coffee shop? The business has been, has been a journey of both personal and professional growth for me. Professionally, obviously, we read about what it takes to start a business, making a business plan, marketing plans, accounting, and all that. But only when you start it, it starts to the, the interplay of all these things start to click. Understanding that you cannot just run with a marketing plan without understanding the cost implications of that on your books and the implication of that on your potential to get additional funding if funding were required. So although that the interplay of all these different things are not necessarily taught in business schools. And that is something that I learned the hard way. Also, surprisingly, most business schools don't necessarily focus on running a small business. That's what we realized. We realized that professionally, most of the university education out there are geared towards helping the individual land a job in a large established company. All fair because you need that because education is an investment and you need to be able to have a career that allows you to get the appropriate returns for your investment. But we realized that from a small business perspective, there wasn't a lot we learned. I think a lot of things that we learned in theory would apply to a large business, but translating that to in a small business context was challenging because all this interplay wasn't necessarily taught. So we learned about it ourselves. So professionally, that learning was pretty impactful. Also, people talk about getting closer to the customer, understanding the customer, and so on and so forth. The customer focus aspect of it is, is taught, but only when you make an attempt to actually get closer to the customer, understand the customer, you understand the challenges in it and the actual value of why it is so important. It was super important, especially when COVID hit, when customers gave us suggestions and advice on how to navigate it, what they were comfortable, what they were not comfortable with, so we could arrange our business accordingly. So all that was professionally educational. On a personal level, I learned a few things. Coffee shops are very fast-paced environments. It's not like what you see on TV or what people may see on TV in a relaxed atmosphere. Maybe for the customers, it's a relaxed atmosphere. But behind the bar, everything's going crazy. Things are moving at 50 miles an hour or 100 kilometers an hour. So that fast-paced environment, for me personally, 
I was, I realized, I learned that I prefer the more introspective, intellectual, slower paced, thoughtful work rather than fast paced, go think on your seat 24 by seven type of work. Luckily, my wife prefers that type of style of work. So we make a good team in that sense. But I realized that after working in the shop behind the bar for the first couple of years, I realized that I needed to move away from the day-to-day grind because that is not something that suits my personality best. My personality is more suited for the more heads down, introspective, thoughtful type of work. So from that perspective, personally, consider that as personal growth in terms of it helped me learn a few new things about myself in terms of what I like, what I don't like, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. Apparently, I'm very good at customer relationships, but not very good at transaction execution. So those are the few things that I learned. So it's been, it's been a very eye-opening sort of experience that allows for both personal and professional growth. That's, I think, the best outcome, irrespective of the financial risk and the reputation risk and all that. I can confidently say that the past seven years, I will learn more about myself because of pursuing this business rather than without. Yeah, thank you. I think that's a wonderful self-awareness, first of all, to realize the differences between a small business and a large business. And then also that you had uh, somebody whom you could match up with and create a team where it could complement each other in a way that it served the business. Thank you for sharing that. Coming to technology, and since you also spoke about experience of drinking coffee or being in a coffee shop, how does that play with the technology? Can you share a little bit about that and also the vision that you have going forward? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think what we're trying to do next is probably a little bit more breaking and disruptive. Everything that we've done so far seems seems and feels very mundane, but foundational to what we want to do next. So here's what we realized. We realized that after COVID, people still like to come to coffee shops in person. We realized that people's way of interacting with businesses has changed a little bit because during COVID, we all had to leverage technology. We were forced to leverage technology to shop for anything. So three years ago, picking up curbside pickup, as they call it, or buying online to pick up in store or BOPIS, as they call it, was not the norm. But today, every business is expected to do that. We never thought we would be delivering a cup of cappuccino. Mm. Pizza is one thing, but delivering a cappuccino is a totally different problem. We never thought we'd be delivering a cappuccino, but now we do. We deliver cappuccinos, lattes, pretty much all sorts of beverages. So that experience forced us to innovate in ways that we never expected. But the thing is, most of the innovations came on the backs of the usage of technology both in-store and online. People's behaviors have changed. So the way they interact with small businesses have changed. So today, people are more comfortable with going to the store, having placed an order already, 
to go pick up in store, which means that our backend operations needs to be technologically enabled to recognize an order that's being picked up in the shop and not for a sit-in customer. Shoppers are already used to ordering online for delivery. We have to figure out if they keep ordering on third-party marketplaces, which have a high margin impact, we have to figure out how to move them to our own first-party channels so that we save on the margin, so they're financially more lucrative customers for us. And people are more comfortable with coming to the store and paying on their phone. People are more comfortable with QR codes. That wasn't the case three years ago. So these behavioral changes that have happened over the past three years or so are seeping into how shoppers and customers work with small businesses, interplay with small businesses. What that means is now for a business that has a strong technological foundation, the business can really leverage that to level up their customer interaction, their customer relationships across all these different areas that I talked about, in-store dining, delivery, as well as order online, pick up and store. So those three different modalities of interaction. People are also more comfortable with social media and other digital channels of interaction. So it's now more common than ever for customers to actually direct messages on Instagram and other channels asking questions about store hours. They expect our information to be available on all these channels. And it's normal for them to go there first to learn who we are before they come to the shop. We've had several instances of people who just are driving past, wanted to take a break, Googled coffee shops near me, saw us come up in the search result, GPS into the search shop and say, hey, I just want to pick up a few things. I'm on my way. And we asked them, how did you find this? We just Googled you. You were there. You came from the search result. And we'd ask you, do you want a loyalty card? And they'd be like, no, we're just driving by. We don't actually live here. So we've had those situations where total strangers are no customers driving past and coming in, leveraging technology, leveraging all these interplay of technology and the small business environment we have going on. So what that means is a strong technology foundation will allow small businesses to really up-level their, their growth strategies, the way they acquire customers, they serve their customers, and the way they grow their business. So what we want to do is use this as a technology foundation to create a platform for a coffee experience to expand with minimal physical retail presence. Hmm. Now, people already understand the concept of ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens. People also understand the concept of food halls. So imagine a future where any small business can leverage it, can leverage a common technology foundation to establish a coffee delivery experience. We have figured out how to use technology to serve an in-store customer and to deliver to a, an off-premise customer. What if we can take that knowledge and we can help other small businesses grow the same way? And we're not talking consulting. We're talking about, we're thinking about a platform that allows for other businesses to, to tap into our know-how, to tap into our skill set for their own growth. So that's at a very high level, at the mm-hmm. sounding vague, at a very high level. So that's how we are, so that's what we plan to do in the future. Yeah, so, so you plan to become a platform which then other businesses can build up upon, right? Okay. Yes. Okay, so that's quite expanding the vision also from where you started. 
Yes. And that's how we see technology and their concept of an experiential coffee shop intersect. Yeah. And in terms of growth and investments, how are you tackling that? Because you're still quite young. You still have a yeah. long way ahead for you. You are left well-established career. So you might have a vision, right? A long-term, let's say a 10-year vision or something like that. <clears throat> Where do you see yourself in, in the next decade or so? For the next 10 years, from a coffee shop perspective, we do see ourselves as a platform, as a growth engine for other small businesses, as a growth engine for other food service entrepreneurs. We're not talking about all small businesses. We're talking about specifically entrepreneurs and small businesses in the food services space, because that's what we understand best. So the intention here is to be a growth engine for other entrepreneurs, especially those who are, who may not be technologically savvy as we have been fortunate to be. So that's the 10-year time growth to, to become that growth engine for others that others can build their businesses on. We almost want to become like almost like a utility behind the scenes that helps others grow. From a financial standpoint, we the current business is fully self-funded and to some extent, we have leveraged debt funding. The Small Business Administration in the United States has been a big part of our growth. The SDA has been a big part of helping us find not just funding, but also resources we can lean on to help grow. So we still own a hundred percent between Balia and myself. In that allows us to have more financing options in the future. We could potentially continue the debt route or we could expand and potentially invite even equity partnerships in the future because we still own 100% of the equity. If we were to go that route, obviously it would be after a significant amount of consideration and thought because at that point, we are literally inviting a partner to join us in this vision. It allows us to open up the aperture of funding possibilities in the future. So that's what we are, that's what we are thinking at this point. Yeah. And what do you see are the biggest risks or challenges that you face? From a business perspective, yes, but also from a personal perspective for both of you. What could be some of those unseen which which might come in the play, come in the way? Yeah, we that's a good question. We realize that unseen are and the unknowns are difficult to plan around because they are unknowns by definition, right? So the way we tackle it is by trying to be intentionally agile in how we deal with situations and circumstances. Some things are foundational. Some things have to happen. Like for example, you need to have a good employee base. So we really focus on our employees, make sure they are well taken care of. We make sure that if we make a hiring mistake and hire someone who's not fitting well with our current staff, we deal with that as quickly as possible. We make sure that the, the staffing is appropriate, not just appropriate staff, but also the right people, the right roles, because that is foundational. The reason I'm bringing that up is because focusing, spending time in setting up the right foundation allows us to be more agile in areas in dealing with the unknowns. Like for example, because we have a strong staffing situation, uh, we were able to navigate COVID because we talked to everybody, everybody understood. We had a good relationship with them. They had a good relationship with us. And it allowed us to navigate the circumstances 
properly. Now that we're expanding to a new location, so many unknowns in expanding to a new location. Work from city regulations to complications in the build out of the property to marketing to a different demographic than what we're used to. So all these different unknowns happen. But because we have a reasonably good staffing situation, we are able to then decide if we want to carve out a certain amount of employees to assign to the new location so that at least the new location starts off with a base, employee base that's already familiar with how they work with us. So that allows us to be agile with other unknowns that come up as we are trying to expand this new location. So unknowns are difficult to plan, but our the way we deal with it is trying to be agile by making sure the foundations are strong. Employees is one, financial base is another. So those are some foundational things that we try to be intentional, put some time and energy into it and build it so that we can deal with the unknowns. And as you move forward and creating that, what aspects of it which you realize are the most meaningful for you? Because in any journey of an entrepreneur, there are obviously tough times. There are obviously times when the unknowns hit you hard. And mm-hmm. then uh, you have to rely on something much more deeper than just financial success. Uh, so what are those meaningful areas which you tap into to give you purpose, to give you motivation? And now I'm talking about both of you as, as founders. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So how do we stay focused and motivated through the, through the unknowns? I think motivating each other and supporting each other is an important aspect of it. So we do that a lot. It, to be honest, it is challenging. I, if I make it sound easy, it's not meant to be that way. It's not easy. In hindsight, everything is easy and clear. But when you're going through the process, it's a mess. It's a monkey. It's like walking through mud. It's difficult. And it's easy to lose sight and lose footing. We argue it's all a health, healthy arguments, but we argue trying to figure out solutions to problems. Trying to say that it's not necessarily always easy. But... What keeps us motivated is that both of us are aligned on a long-term goal. The vision that I mentioned, we are aligned on that. We are focused on that. And we know the path from here to there. I say kind of because it's not a rigid roadmap. We don't have a rigid roadmap to go from here to there. We have a, a tentative path. I say tentative because... A lot of things can go wrong. Things can change. Life happens. So we know that our path may go sideways sometimes. Then four, it's a tentative path from here to the destination. But as things come along, we will navigate and figure out how to navigate around. So the vision, the goal, the destination, we're clear on. So the clarity is super important to be able to go through all the issues that come up. The second thing that motivates us is we feel like we need to take care of the people that work for us. And it's important to take care of them because quite literally their livelihood is dependent on the business. So that amount of responsibility is another motivation. The third thing is our customers. We have gotten so much support through good times and bad from customers because they truly believe in the business. And my wife, Talia, more than I, has been on the front lines of making sure that our customers understand and appreciate what we do. Our customers understand and appreciate the value we bring to the community, to their lives. 
they really appreciate that they can come to our business when they need a mental break from all the craziness that's happening in everybody's lives. So from that perspective, they're very supportive of what we're doing. So when in doubt, sometimes we even ask our questions direct, or ask our customers directly. Hey, how do you think we should deal with situation X, whatever? And they're open with their feedback and comment. That has been very motivating. That helps us not lose sight of what mm -hmm. we're doing. Stay on track and figure out ways to work through the issues. It is challenging. Every day, there's a new thing that keeps coming up. For example, we're dealing with, right now, actually this week, we're dealing with some equipment delays in the business, in the new location. A service provider that was supposed to come and install some a few things did not do a good job and has postponed it by three weeks. So we're trying to figure out how to work around that. So these things keep happening, but because we are just laser focused on that destination and we have all these other aspects that I mentioned, it helps us stay focused and stay the path. Yeah. And one thing which I'm noticing, which is very visible is right now your presence here. You're speaking quite slowly. I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs who are very growth focused and it is visible in their energy as well. What is giving you this sense of composure or presence? Has there been any Anybody as mentors or advisors who have influenced you, because it's a very, you have a very well planned, it looks a very well thought out approach. And as you yourself said, a lot of things are like, you, you know the path. Yeah. So over, over to you. I'm glad you're seeing a well planned, a well thought out approach. Like when it's also broad, it is anything but that. You have, an entrepreneur needs to be very comfortable with ambiguity. I think that's the thing that you have to be comfortable with ambiguity. And you have to be comfortable with things going wrong and things not going according, according to plan. And you have to know what the non-negotiables are. In a world of 100 things, ideally, you'll want to have three or four things that are non-negotiable. You'll want the rest, the remaining 95 things to be negotiable. Because things will go wrong, you'll have to compromise on, on a few things. And you don't have the energy to fight everything. We fight only when the non-negotiables get affected. You have to pick the right fight because when things go wrong and you have to fight circumstances, it's easy to lose energy. Have to be comfortable with ambiguity, have to be comfortable with things going sideways and have to have a clear idea of what the non-negotiables are. Hmm. Like for example, personal health is a non-negotiable. I can't run a business if I'm unhealthy. Simple, right? So that's one way of looking at it. So we both are very clear on that. And like I said before, she is the high energy, running at a hundred kilometers an hour person. I am the more analytical, let's slow down person. So things that require, things that don't require pace, things that require more heads down, slow, but intentional reaction times. Those are mine. Anything that requires pace and speed, and that requires get things done. That's hers. So that's how we split our responsibilities. It's not always clean. Again, it sounds very <laughs> clean and very well planned. It's not. It's yeah. In hindsight, it seems like that, but we had to go through our own personal journeys to get to a place where we have this understanding and we have this partnership and team going on. So, so in hindsight, it's all clear, but in the middle of the month, it is not clear at all. It's almost <laughs> never clear. From a mentor perspective, my my professional life, I've had several good people I've worked with that I haven't necessarily had a formal 
mentor relationship, but I have been fortunate enough to be mentored, to be advised, to be taught things along the way, all the way from school, teachers in school to professors in business school to colleagues and managers and leaders in the organizations that I work with. So I've been fortunate that there are too many to count and list, but there are no, I wouldn't say that, like, for example, I am a big fan of Richard Brandt, but I wouldn't say that I've been mentored by him because I've read his books, but that's pretty much it. But my mentors are regular people you will meet every day who've gone through similar journeys that I have gone through yeah. and who have been kind enough to pass it forward to me. And I'm ho I hopefully I'll do the same for others in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Vinod. And to begin to wrap this up, right, you spoke about the non-negotiables. I think it's it's one thing to realize or to create your non-negotiables. It's a totally a different thing to really follow up on that because I know a lot of entrepreneurs who know their health or their relationship comes first, yet at the same time, because of the pressure with business or the busyness, it almost takes a backseat. So what advice would you give to any business owner who are dealing with this balancing act, right, between the growth, the responsibility, which you said about the people as well, but it can also become a huge burden. And then you often tend to put yourself last. That is a pattern which often happens with entrepreneurs. What advice would you give to anybody who have their non-negotiables, but just don't see that playing out practically in the, in the world that we live in? Yeah, I hear you. It's, to be honest, it's not perfect for me either. And I sometimes make the same mistake that you just outlined. So it's not, I'm not 100% all the time. So focused on the non-negotiables. However, though in, it's different for different people. For me, visualization, or to be to sound more sophisticated, scenario planning is very helpful. The way I try to think about it is it requires some amount of discipline and self-awareness. Without it, it doesn't work. But if you have a little bit of discipline, a little bit of self-awareness, which I like to believe that all entrepreneurs have because to be an entrepreneur, you need to, you need those two characteristics. Visualize a scenario where the thing that you're trying to prioritize actually works out and your non-negotiable doesn't exist, goes away. Like for example, if you are working on a, let's say you're trying to raise seed round or your startup, and that is taking a toll on your health. Imagine succeeding. Imagine what success will look like. As in, you raised a million dollars in seed funding, but you lost your health. Is that worth it? I think that type of scenario planning is what is very helpful for me. Similarly, I'm so focused on getting to a goal that I am compromising on important relationships in my life. So what if I am successful? I got to the goals, I lose the relationship. What happens then? Am I okay with that future? Is that future hurting? Is that something that I want or don't want? Right, so that helps me realize that this is a non-negotiable. I should probably rebalance my outlook here. It's not, I'm not doing it in the right way. Visualization. Visualizing, so this is actually, you're visualizing success. You're visualizing success in both apps. 
Yeah. You're giving up on the relationship and you're getting your business goal. So what happened in that situation? So that visualization is very helpful for me to realize and become a little aware of where yeah. I'm compromising that I shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to highlight one thing here, right? Uh, apart from the visualization, the the act of stopping and doing the visualization or scenario planning is itself such an important act because many times like people are aware, but they are so busy that they only realize it after the fact. And it's like you are going so fast or because you are in a hurry that you forget to stop for fuel. It's that kind of a paradox. And what I'm listening is not just the visualization, but also that awareness of stopping even in the busyness of day-to-day hectic work to really look at the future. And as you said, right, does this future take care of what I want to see for myself or for my people or for my relationships or for my health? It is, you're absolutely right. It is very important to, I just realized that it is very important to when you're going at that speed to really take advantage of the quiet time. Like for example, if you're running around as an entrepreneur, you're flying all over the country, you get time in the airport when you're waiting. It's quiet time. It's your time. You're sitting in a plane, maybe watching some program on the tele- on the screen. It's your quiet time. So quiet times, leveraging quiet times for this purpose is important. First thing in the morning, first half hour after you wake up, it's a quiet time for most people at least. So just being aware of taking advantage of all these quiet times that people get in all the busyness, I think that is a good step one. I got from half an hour of quiet time. What can I do to take advantage of this? Okay, let me do some introspection or let me check in on my employees or let me just text my wife and see how she's, you know, those, I think yeah. just being aware of that one thing, to me, is helpful. Maybe it helps others. Yeah. Thank you, Vinod. So before, before we end, right, if anybody wants to reach out or find out more about what you're up to, what is the best way to, to reach out to you? LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I check LinkedIn five times a day. <laughs> and people can also find about the all the other projects and initiatives that I've, I have my consulting arm as well that does, I do technology consulting to other companies and other product builders. So people can find out more about me on LinkedIn. And also my personal website is just vinodkumar.me. But LinkedIn is the best avenue to reach out to me. I reply pretty regularly. And I also post pretty regularly. Thank you. Thank you, Vinod. And I want to wish you best for all the future success that you have ahead. And I will make sure that to add your website and your LinkedIn along with the show notes. Sumit, thank you very much. This was a very refreshingly different podcast conversation. The interview, the conversation sounded pretty authentic and pretty genuine in terms of not sounding too scripted like others do. So I really appreciate not just inviting me to participate in this conversation, but also nudging the conversation in directions based upon where my thought process is going, which is not really commonly seen attribute with other podcast hosts. So I just wanted to call that out because I do recognize that's not something that's usual or regular in space. So I truly appreciate you making that effort for doing that. And that made this conversation even more enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you, Vinod, for adding that. I appreciate that. Wonderful. Have a nice day ahead. You as well. You have a good evening. Nice chatting with you. Yeah. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. 
I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of to make sure you don't miss any episodes go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team if you want to know more go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on linkedin I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.